Everyone dreams about living an uncommon life, but how we define that dream is very different for each of us. And for most, it's a lifelong pursuit. Welcome to the Uncommon Life Project Podcast. We're going to introduce you to people who are living that life or enjoying the journey to get there. We're going to also give you some tools, tricks, and tips for starting or accelerating your own efforts to live an uncommon life, a life worth celebrating and savoring. Please welcome your hosts, Brian Dewhurst and Philip Ramsey. Hello and welcome to the show. You are listening to the Uncommon Life Project. My name is Philip Ramsey. And I am Brian Dewhurst. Thank you so much, Lisa, for that amazing intro. Always consistent, always there, never changing, ever present, Lisa, everyone. So we got a great show for you today, but before we jump into it, I just wanted to reiterate how much we love our job. Like, Mm -hmm. we love to sit down with people, see where they're at, where they're going, and I totally lost my train of thought, actually. (laughs) Well, the thing I think I would say is it's the beginning of the year, it's the last year of the decade. What do you want to accomplish? Who's going to help you get there? And we hope this show enhances your ability to focus and just and go on that path. And we're back. And Welcome we're back. back, Philip. Here's what I wanted to say. The reason for this podcast is we are highlighting people that are doing uncommon things in their life, mainly that they are enjoying it. They love to wake up in the morning, and but they haven't always necessarily been there. So the transition of where they figured out like, hey, I'm not really happy to, I wanna try something different. This is what we're trying to highlight in the show. Uh, We hope that you get inspired and encouraged with this. If you do, leave us a message, tell us that you guys are listening. We just, or ladies, or folks. Always should say folks. Always should say folks. Wow. Anyway, so this, let's get into the show. We have an amazing show with Derek Lewis. I wanna hear the bio. The train. So Derek is, This is just a great episode. He is married, has uh, two daughters, lives here in Ankeny, Iowa, is a graduate from Iowa State. He is a cyclone, and he is the founder, co-creator, and chief chief recipe, chief, I don't know, I'm just making stuff up, but anyways, he owns Thelma's Ice Cream Sandwiches, and uh, if your mouth just started watering, you know what we're talking about. Yeah. If you haven't, look it up. You may get hungry listening to this episode. It's an amazing show. Derek, thank you for your time. We hope you enjoy it. Again, we hope you're encouraged. Let's get into the show. Thanks. Welcome to the show, Mr. Derek Lewis. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, I can't wait to just hear and unpack your story. A lot of people have not only heard of Thelma's, they've had Thelma's in their mouth. And so <laughs> we're excited to see where it's, where it's been, where it's going, where it's come from, um, all that. And we have that for you in this show. And so I'm so excited just to hear more about Thelma's. Um, let's first just take just kind of a detour here and talk about um, your life before Thelma's. What was that like? What were you doing? Who were you doing it with? How long have you been married? Give us all the details, buddy. <laughs> um, let's see. So um, all my family is from the Prairie City, Monroe area, east of Des Moines. Both my parents are farm kids um, and didn't go to college, um, which never really stopped them from their careers. My dad has been um, a farm for a long time and then did um, insurance. And my mom did some real estate stuff. Um, I graduated from high school in North Central Iowa. Um, and then went to Iowa state for business management. Cyclone. Welcome. Yeah, there we go. (laughs) Um, 
during college, uh, I was not a very good student. Um, can most, I get an amen? Right. <laughs> we can run businesses. So I, um, I skipped class a bunch, mostly to start little micro businesses. So, um, one of my college roommate and I were always doing stuff. So we, um, oh, we sold glow necklaces at Visha a couple of years. We, so we'd buy like a case of glow necklaces and then go sell them for two or four bucks or whatever. And, um, nice. then one time there's this huge ice storm in Ames and all these tree limbs were down. So we drove to, we drove to Lowe's like right when it opened and bought a chainsaw and used my pickup and we cut tree limbs for almost a month. We put flyers out in, Whoever had a limb that we thought we could handle, we put a flyer in their door and then they just called our cell phones. I still got calls like up until maybe four or five years ago. Unbelievable. Um, so, but Unbelievable. I think, we, I can't remember how much we made, but we both made enough that we could go buy a brand new set of golf clubs. That was our goal because we thought professional development, we should have a nice set of golf clubs. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's funny. It's just I'm just going to say, yeah, straight hustlers. But here at the end of the day, like if I was an employer and you were an employee that I wanted to hire and you told me that story, I'd be like, done. Sign still and delivered. Like, I don't care about what your college degree says, <laughs> you know? And I think that's why I got bored at school. Um, you know, a lot of the, prof- the I, I felt like the, the classes that I was taking, entrepreneurship wasn't quite cool enough in 2008. It's, they yep. have a whole program for it now. And I've talked on campus and like, they're really embracing it now. Yeah. Um, I still I have, have some, professors. I still have some misgivings of whether you can teach that in a college environment, but I <laughs> yeah. think they're, they're making a run at it. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so they really were teaching people how to be middle managers at big corporations. And that was the skill yes. set that I was getting at school. Um, but during school, um, uh, let's see, there's kind of a, this kind of merge, this kind of starts the interest in entrepreneurial ventures, but I was working sure. at sports and warehouse in Ankeny, the sporting goods store Yeah, yep. cashier, just cause I like hunting and fishing and stuff. And this Good guy, came through my line. yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, this guy came through my line and he had a bush plane, um, on his shirt and he was a booking agent for premium hunts. And he was in, in Iowa looking for a whitetail for a client. And, um, which I thought sounded like the coolest job I could imagine. Yeah. Sign and, up. Yeah. So I said, uh, so how do I get into that? He said, well, you, you, and I don't know why I asked this guy anything. It was so weird that I even engaged him in my line. Cause he was just buying like a Gatorade or something. And, um, I, uh, he said, well, you need to work for an outfitter. If you're going to work in this business, here's a guy's name. Why don't you give him a call? And, uh, it was a guy in Alaska, who specialized in doll sheep hunting. And so I called him and I said, Hey, I want to work for you. And he said, cool. Um, meet me in Fairbanks on July, whatever 20th. And if you're not in great shape and have the right stuff, then I'll just send you back home. If you look like you're going to be able to hack it, then we'll go out to camp. And so wow. I went to Alaska. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> that happened. Yeah. <laughs> so showed up in Fairbanks. I did a bu- as much studying as I could on sheep hunting. I've never left. I mean, I'd never hunted outside Iowa really, maybe in Colorado once for elk or whatever. But, um, so we took off and then I worked under him for a couple of years as an assistant guide and we did doll sheep, brown bear, wow. moose, pretty much if you can hunt it in Alaska, I hunted it. But the unique part that I didn't really foresee was the guys who booked those hunts, you know, those hunts are anywhere from at the time there were 15 to 25,000 bucks or something. So, um, yeah, these were, these were guys that what I found out was everybody who showed up at the camp, they didn't work for anybody. 
They all owned something. And so they all told their story of what they owned. And it was really cool because the first day of camp, they were still a CEO. And then by day three or day four of being in the tent, they were just some guy. Yep. And so they just totally got soft and would just kind of share their story with me. Derek um, the sponge. Derek the sponge. Yeah. Soaking <laughs> it in. And, and everybody, you know, somebody, a mentor of mine told me, a, a professional I knew a long time ago, is everybody likes talking about themselves, which is kind of why podcasts exist, I guess. But, right. Um, so Welcome just, to the show, Derek. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I just let them talk about themselves and quiz them how they start, you know, what that first idea was. And one guy started a, a hunting company out of his garage and quit his job at the bank and then moved to China to source stuff, all kinds of cool stuff. Um, so that's really where I saw like, okay, I see this group of people and I want to be making the, I want to have the kind of choices that they have. Mm. And um, Living an uncommon life. Yeah, kind of a a whole group of uncommon guys. Yeah, um, it would have been a cool podcast in the tent, like in the oh, bush or right. whatever. You know, like <laughs> season four, and shooting stuff, and yeah. Philip, we're going to Alaska. I know, sounds good. I remember these one guys showed up, and they're like, "You, you kind of stink." And I was like, "Well, I haven't showered in September yet." <laughs> and it was like it was the end of the month, and so it's November. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's funny. I uh, anyway, it was an incredible experience, and I so Iowa State had a study abroad internship program where I could basically leave for a semester, keep my same student status, and then write a paper on my experience. So I learned how the guide ran his operation, which was very much like, "All right, here's the set of challenges we have. We're going to figure this out." Wow. Um, and and then also the client side of just getting to know those guys and um, having starting to build those relationships. So sure. Okay, so let's let's kind of tailor this. At what point did you think, okay, wait a second, I've been eating these ice cream sandwiches my whole life. I'm gonna scale that thing. When did that start coming into your? Uh, that happened more by accident. So okay. I had not been eating them my whole life. Um, oh. Let's tell our listeners real quick what Thelma's is for those people, because we kind of have people all over the country. So sure, walk so, our listeners through what Thelma's is and and how it Thelma's goes. now is a. Um, an ice cream sandwich company uh, more than anything. So we do a handmade ice cream sandwich. Um, it's individually packaged and sold for anywhere from like three to $4 at grocery stores. Um, and they come in uh, up to 10 different flavor combinations, different cookies with different ice creams. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're all handmade in Des Moines and then they're sold through about 1400 retailers kind of in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Very so cool. Thanks. That's kind of a summary where we're at. Yeah. Um, so how did it, how did it come to fruition? Sure. So, um, I, out of college I did, uh, I did real estate. I tried to sell farms for hunting property, people who wanted to go hunting. Cause I had that interest that it was 2008. So all the people mm. who were building houses ran out of money, mm. um, and stopped buying farms. Wow. Um, then I tried to sell insurance cause my dad had done insurance and oh. I thought that was going to go. And Hot I, mess. Was, I was not good at that. Just too many <laughs> systems and too many rules. And, um, <laughs> and then literally my college roommate called me. He's like, Hey, there's this cookie company and they're franchising. They're based in twin cities and they're franchising and you should buy the one for Des Moines and just total whim, like back of the napkin thing. And I was so tired of insurance. So I looked at it. I was like, cool, let's do that. Literally, I my brother-in-law had a commercial kitchen I could use, and we just kind of scrapped it together. Um, once we hit the first summer, um, nobody bought. It was a warm cookie delivery franchise, and people weren't buying them, and so because it's too hot. And um, a friend of mine owns an ice cream store in Monroe called Jersey Freeze, 
And uh, we took some my grandma Thelma's cookies. We were selling my grandma Thelma's through the franchise, actually. Her, her snickerdoodle recipe. Mm-hmm. We took some of those cookies down there. We made some ice cream sandwiches, did the friends and family route. Everybody went crazy for them. He started selling them at his store. Then I took that idea back to the franchise owners and I said, hey, here's something we should add to the, the deal. And all the menu, yeah. Yeah, you can hire me to roll this out to the other franchisees. And they weren't interested in adding an ice cream piece like that um, in, in that big of a way. And it really just got me thinking like, I think this is a really good idea. Um, and I'm I think I'm, I'm going to go all in and I'm just going to build a brand around it. Cause I'm already calling it my grandma Thelma's cookie. Why don't we just call it Thelma's ice cream sandwiches? So I had had breakfast club with a guy named Brian Sauer who owns uh, Saturday manufacturing. They're a, a small marketing firm in town. I sat down with him and we kind of built a plan around how to build a brand. Um, and then we launched Thelma's in spring of 2012. Wow. Um, and what, yeah. walk our listeners through like what you mean by launch. Cause I think, I think there's a lot of people listening that are in that vein of like where you were and they mm-hmm. want to take that first step. Sure. So like walk our listeners through that launch. So, oh man, we did a bunch of kind of bootstrappy hustle things at the beginning. So, um, when I say launch, so we got into the D- downtown Des Moines farmer's market. Um, there Which was a pretty big, big. Yeah. And the application process is tough for that. So very few people can get in. There's, I don't think you can get in with prepared items forever. (laughs) Um, but you can, there was a bakery opening. And so we got in as a baked good because we're baking the cookies. And so we got into the downtown farmer's market. So that was kind of locked up. We also had designed, we decided to keep doing the warm cookie delivery component only under the Thelma's name with the Thelma's recipes. And so we designed a box that looks like a, a vintage oven. Yes. Um, I wanted to ask you about that, but keep going. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, which was a crazy spend for us at the time. Um, that was way fancier than our budget allowed. Um, uh, but, but my brilliant, but uh, thanks. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it was just, we were sitting in a meeting one day and they're like, well, they're warm cookies. Wouldn't it be cool if they came out of an oven? And I kind of laughed like, yeah, that would be cool. But like, we can't afford to do something How fancy do that? like that. Yeah. yeah. And we had built our projections around putting a dozen cookies in a box. And I was like, well, if you could put two dozen cookies in that box, I could take that budget and double it. Can we do it for that? And the math worked and it worked fine. Um, and then that box went on to win a national Addy award and then was featured in entrepreneur magazine. And it kind of wow. went crazy. Yeah. It's interesting. I got to insert a little thing here. So I'm actually fascinated with product packaging design, which sounds really weird. Yeah. Uh, but like that Addy award and uh, I'm on Pinterest the other day. Uh, and that Thelma's box was on my Pinterest search. And I was like, no, way. <laughs> we're talking to Derek <laughs> in a few days. And so I was like, oh my gosh, that is so cool. Yeah, it's, so. Um, it's gotten a lot of, a ton of attention and people have wanted to buy it or do different things with it. We we'll probably find some long-term home for the box in the future or, or something. Um, what's interesting is that part of our business is now, is now, a really small piece of the cookie delivery part is really small compared to the ice cream sandwich side. So um, can I ask you this? Because at that point you were in a position and it sounded like it was a scary position where you were ready to take that risk, right? In business owning, sometimes you have to take a risk. You have to double down on an idea. This box sounds like that. How did you know you were ready to take that risk? And what did like, what was your thought process and what was your uh, community that you ask or mentors that you ask to actually make you feel comfortable about the risk that you were going to take or the investments you were going to put in your business? Man, I think a little bit was naivety, naivete or whatever. <laughs> like, I just didn't know that I didn't know. Yeah. Um, 
my wife was in law school. We already didn't have any money. Uh, (laughs) We're negative. Yeah. Like (laughs) might as well just throw it at it. Let's go. (laughs) I didn't have much to lose. I didn't have any kids. I was like, you know, I guess we could move back in with my parents. Like my worst case scenario is we're already really close to that. So I (laughs) I wasn't like, um, I wasn't risking much. Um, so I, so uh, my brother-in-law is a big mentor of mine. Um, his name's Jake Christensen. He does a bunch of real estate development in Des Moines. Um, and he's completely self-made, just a farm kid from Northeast Iowa who moved to Des Moines on a whim and built his career. But so he, he really, he really is instrumental throughout my entire story of as far as, um, helping build business plans and stuff like that. Um, I think initially it was just, he didn't like the cookie delivery piece because it didn't scale. He's like, well, you can't, you, you can't make that big. You can only deliver so many cookies a day. So he never really liked that side of the business. Um, only because of that point, he thought it was cool. Like, yeah, you're going to, yeah. people will love you, but like, you can't ever get to the novelty. Yeah. yeah. You know what? Like I just didn't speak to it. Jake, that was brilliant <laughs> advice yeah. because there's so many people that jump into a business because they have a good idea, but it's not scalable. And because yeah. of the unscalable, you've just basically just created a job for you for the rest of your life that you can't get out of. Yeah. Um, and and people do that all the time. There's people mm-hmm. that are good at making items and, and especially small food producers come to me all the time and say, okay, I make this really good potato salad. How can I scale it up or make, you know, sell sure. it all over the place? I'm like, well, there's limitations. There's only certain products that really let you do that. Um, yeah. Once we, once you had an ice cream sandwich, he's like, this is it. This is the thing you need to scale. So he said, tell me how you're going to, you know, tell me how you're going to make these ice cream sandwiches and where are we going to sell them? Um, so I made my master business plan, um, which was really ambitious. Um, and I remember, I think the, the gross sales number was like a million dollars, which sounded like, um, a hundred million at the time. <laughs> and so like how pretentious am I to put a million dollars on the sheet? And, um, and he goes, okay, cool. Uh, now I'm, and he was in strategic coach at the time. I don't know if you guys have been through that program, sure. but, um, we haven't been, like, but we know. Yeah. So, um, that's actually one of my 2019 goals is to be able to enroll into a strategic coach. Cause they're kind of, it's expensive. It, it, yeah. It's its own thing, but it's, a, um, it's an investment. Yeah, exactly. Um, but he said, let's take the, let's do the 10 times, um, drill. So take your, I want to take your goal times 10. So then let's make it 10 million. Now I want you to back into how many retailers do you need? How many units do you need to make? How many, what equipment do you need to do? And I spent like a long time building that out. Um, so really that just, it just stretched my mind to say, wow, I, could I build it to that? Um, mm. it, it just, it just puts it into achievable pieces that you say, well, yeah, I could, there's, that would mean I need, uh, you know, 3000 grocery stores. Are there 3000 grocery stores? Well, yeah, there's 40,000 grocery stores in the country and, um, uh, well over 3000 in the Midwest. So I think this is reasonable. So those are the kind of questions and people that were in my life, uh, at the time though. And then another good friend of mine is Sharice Flynn. Um, she was a COO of Douala. I don't know if you guys know Douala. Um, uh, she really, she started at Douala when it was just Ben and the programmer. It was just the three of them. So Ben and um, the guy. Yeah. (laughs) And so, yes. Um, and Sharice actually worked for Jake when I was an intern with Jake. So the three of us had worked together professionally when I was an intern in college. And Sharice has always been a, uh, a critical advisor too. She actually told me, um, the, the cookie business was stupid because I was doing that. My business plan led me to be still have an income below the poverty level. And, 
And Whoops. I remember. <laughs> That's candor right there. <laughs> I just remember we were having lunch and she wrote it down. She's like, so you're telling me if you do this and you do this and this, you'll still have a, you know, income of $22,000 that you can take home at the end of the day. I was like, yeah. It's like, you know, that, that really doesn't make sense, does it? She goes, no, you need to make a new plan. Then let's talk about it. And just really kind of people that, yeah. yeah, they just ask the hard questions and then make yeah. the hard answers and then, and then go from there. So, um, yeah, that's, those are my two really, really critical mentors starting out. So I think, I think it's interesting because when you look, I was in the grocery store last night doing some grocery shopping ahead of this uh, podcast and I saw, um, uh, somebody's, you know, custom salsa on the shelf. And I was just thinking about you and in this podcast. And it's like, I don't think people realize how hard it is to get not only food distribution, but then to be able to scale it. Because every time you get a bigger order, you kind of have to double down on, you know, the freezers, the equipment, the packaging, like you're always chasing that next order and then forcing to scale and invest to support it. And so walk yeah, us, walk us through that for you and your story. Yeah. So it's a man, it's a cart and the horse problem. So, um, there's a lot of food businesses. So if you make a really good barbecue sauce, for example, mm -hmm. there are co-packers all over the country. If you give them the recipe, they'll send you a pallet of your barbecue sauce. You go sell it to fairway, like easy peasy. Um, that doesn't exist for a handmade ice cream sandwich. The part of the reason we have the value proposition we have is because they're each handmade. They look a certain way. There's really only one other company that's making them like we do. And their minimum order was um, one semi-load. And I hadn't sold a semi-load the whole year, you know, so that was yeah, just yeah. completely unfeasible. Um, and, it, and they still wouldn't, have, it would have all had to been one flavor. They didn't, they wouldn't let us do it how we do it. Um, so we started with um, two KitchenAid mixers and a countertop ice cream machine and a shared kitchen space. Um, then... And you said you got that off Craigslist, right? Yeah, yeah. We bought And we bought our first push cart from a guy on the south side uh, <laughs> on Craigslist. We didn't know about push carts or anything. I think... So maybe all in... We maybe had, let's say, 1500 bucks, 2000 bucks yeah. maybe in the whole bit. So uh, really money you can scrap together um, and finding kind of weaselly ways around the big obstacles. No, I didn't go lease a nice, you know, bay with a hood and all this right. stuff. Found a, yeah. I scrolled in and yeah. then I built and then I went and sold stuff. And then we let that revenue make the decision for the next thing. So it's really that the hardest hurdle is probably that first little push. How are you going to carve it out? Right. And then once you have some, a little sales history, then you can have data to make a better decision for the next step. So, um, then we built out a commercial kitchen in the lower level of the shops at Roosevelt on 42nd street. Oh, oh I yeah. love that. Come um, on. I think we looked at that. Space. We did look at that space. You did? <laughs> Kid yes. you not. Uh, They're like, yeah, it? somebody just moved out of here and they were showing us that space because we were looking for a place to rent. And uh, I kid you not, we looked at that space. After You're like, you, yes. uh, no, we're not running an underground gambling yeah. club. Like we, yes. like, we actually are going to run a spakeasy now. So <laughs> perfect. So when I leased that, when I originally found that space, they it wasn't for lease. Uh, there was just a door on the back of the building. We were walking yeah. by like, where's the that bathroom door? bathroom was upstairs. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You about, goes, you about yeah. cut your head off walking <laughs> yeah. into that door. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, sorry. Keep going. That's funny. So we, that was completely full of old, um, there was an old tailor that used to be in that building. I can't remember his name, but a classic Des Moines tailor, but it was all full of buttons and, and moldy clothes and stuff. And I spent about two months of my own time cleaning it at night and building out that space myself. So I got like free rent for the first year in order to build out the space. Yeah. 
Um, and then we ran that until I had a walk-in freezer down there. All of our ingredients went down those steps and wow, and stuff holy back cow. up those steps. You, so you we, we were saying holy cow because we've been down those steps. Yeah, we've been there. Yeah, yeah. kind of turned and like it was the, yeah steep. Let's just so. Say and that's what I guess the part that I was okay with. I said, wow, I have 1500 yes. square feet to myself. Mm-hmm. Like I can hassle. I know I'm going to have to put up with some inconveniences cause I don't have money to do it. And I don't want to, I don't want to risk that much to have an upstairs, a nice like loading right. dock and all that stuff. So it was kind of our bootstrappy way to do that. Um, after that we outgrew that space. And I, so, so once we had that space, I could go sell more high V's. Sure. Um, we had some great success in an early heavy heavy is really cool that you can pitch individual stores. Um, then we pitched some fairways and, uh, gateway market in Des Moines was our first yeah. retailer. Um, mm-hmm. that's really where we learned how to sell stuff wholesale. Um, and so then we pitched a bunch more <laughs> high V's then it was going to be too much for that production facility. Um, then we actually started making our sandwiches out at the brick street market in Bondurant. Sure. Um, Brian and Mary Losey built a really fancy grocery store in Bondurant and, um, they had a beautiful, like state of the art bakery, um, but didn't use it all the time. Hmm. So we came in there and made our ice cream sandwiches there, um, uh, typically in the afternoons. Um, towards the end, we were kind of using it the whole time and that's when it was time to get out of there too, because we were going to outgrow that space. Um, and, uh, and you guys just stop me whenever I'm just kind of rambling no, through this. No, that's really super cool. How many um, employees do you have at this point, Derek? Um, I have, uh, it just depends on the season. Uh, today I have, uh, 14. Okay. Uh, in the summer we'll be, uh, we can get up to 25. Okay. Uh, somewhere and in do there. Do you ask flavors? Is that what you're saying, Philip? No, I ask how many employees. Oh, employees. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to know flavors. Right. <laughs> He's getting hungry. It's around right. lunchtime. It's lunchtime and it's time for an ice cream sandwich. <laughs> you're talking about scaling. Keep going. You're yeah, doing so, we, um, so we went to the Brick Street Market. We kind of outgrew that space. And then I was trying to – I got some land under contract to build a facility. So I was trying to build like a – maybe 5,000 square foot building um, to do production and warehousing and all of the stuff. Um, and then my brother-in-law, Jake, uh, called me and said, hey, I just toured this facility that has a food grade building in it. Um, it's way bigger than what you need, but I think you can buy it for the same money you budgeted to build the other building. Mm-hmm. And let's make a run at it. And um, so it's just a cool deal how he's, and that's really how his brain works is he just puts people together at the mm-hmm. right time. Connector. Um, so his friend was buying the whole big property. Um, and then we were buying our building as part of that transaction on the same, you know, within a week of when he closed. So he wanted the big building and didn't want our building. So, wow. um, made a lot of sense for him and we got to buy a 17,000 square foot building for the same money. So, um, it was a huge win for our company and, and we got to buy and own real estate instead of leasing something. Yeah. Yes. Um, good for you we were just big enough and had enough track record that we could have a, a bank come in and, and loan us money to buy the building. Which is a huge deal to get a bank to buy in to the numbers that was, have happened. They obviously see p- huge potential. Yeah. And they, they're looking at, okay, well we saw, you know, banks and accountants only look backwards, which is a crappy sure part do. of their, <laughs> um, and you're trying to get them to look, cause you're making decisions looking forward. I can't look backwards to make this, you know, it's, it's always like the rub. Um, that I've figured out uh, or learned the hard way, I guess. So, so we got in the building and originally we had 7,000 square feet of office space in there that was 
not class A, but class B office space uh, with yeah. cubicles and stuff. And I was trying to lease it. And then slowly, like we just kept storing stuff in there and storing stuff in there. And then I demoed out a little bit of it, could have a little more warehouse space. And really by uh, the start of last, really by last spring, we occupied the whole building. Wow. And then we had to build a mezzanine um, for storage of stuff because we not only occupied it, but everything has a spot now. There's no extra things. Um, wow. Because you kind of have that bulk space for a long time. But. Sure. So like you, I'm just going to ask this. Uh, you can leave for six months and this this company, this business could still be running. Now, it probably wouldn't be running as efficiently. I get that. But it still would be running, right? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. So I have a wow. uh, plant manager. My dad is actually the plant manager. He stopped his insurance career because I called him one day. I was like, I need you to come run the plant. (laughs) Wow. And uh, he's like, and we just work really well together. I think it's just the farming culture of family businesses and stuff. And uh, my family doesn't, didn't do a lot of like super fun stuff when we were little, we just worked. And so we, we work well together. So um, like, Hey, what are we doing this weekend? I don't know. We're going to like clean up the yard and do the chores. Yeah. just chores. There's no, like we're not going to adventure land. So that's fun. Um, Let's make it fun. (laughs) Do you have your ice cream sandwiches at adventure land yet? Mm, no, they have a weird blue bunny contract there. Oh, Stop okay. the madness. Come Adventure. on, Adventureland. What are we doing? <laughs> blue uh, bunny has enough distribution. <laughs> we did just pitch the largest water park in the country or in the Midwest at the Wisconsin Dells yesterday. Oh, so oh, take that, Adventureland. Yeah. So <laughs> Philip and I know the entrepreneurial path and you don't go it alone. And you've done a great job, I think, edifying mm-hmm. these mentors and things. But Walk us through what it's been like for you and your wife, uh, you know, how you've kind of stayed married, how, you know, that relationship works. And then is Thelma still in the picture? Kind of walk us through the that support sure. side. So when I started Thelma's, we kind of had like a, a meeting at our house um, where Jenny's like, okay, you've done real estate, you've done insurance. This is your last thing. Um, we don't have any money. And um, final straw. I, yeah, I want you to run with this and go for it, but um, we're not going to do four or five more of these ideas. So if it's if this one doesn't work, I want you to go get a regular job. And not so much an ultimatum, just like that's the right thing to do for our family and that's responsible. And, and um, you were probably there too, right? I was there too. I was like, you know yep. what? You're right. If this doesn't work, like... I need to start making money because I'm going to be too far behind if I mm-hmm. if I spend if I waste time on this for ten more years. We got a hell mary. Um, we know yeah. <laughs> we know what we need to run. Yeah, <laughs> let's go. Uh, I think it put a little pressure on it too. Of like, okay, this has to work. Sure. So I'm gonna just. What's the most I can do to make it work? Um, so that was uh, so our first year of marriage was uh, I was still doing real estate. It was awful. Uh, I was gone all the time. I was spending money. I didn't have, I was just like making a bunch of terrible decisions. So um, I think, um, and then my first daughter was born the same summer we launched Thelma's. So August of 2012 was when my daughter was born. So it's just a lot of stuff going on and I didn't really um, compartmentalize it. We just did it all at the same time. Um, So marriage got much better after that. Um, I got a little bit smarter on what to do. Um, when did you realize, like, I think I got it. I think we're good. Like, let's go, you know, instead of, Oh, I don't know. (laughs) Well, I think it, so I, I go through phases of that. So when we take on, when we took on the building or when we take on, Oh, we're going to do this. We, when we launched in the twin cities and we leased a warehouse up there and like hired two full-time drivers, like each time you take on, I think, I think you have to go on that path point. of, 
of even right now. So this season that we're in right now is a very keystone phrase. Um, we're, um, <laughs> uh, we took on age, we sold HEB, uh, which is the high V of Texas. Um, and they launch in the spring, um, that just adding that huge account is 340 stores. Um, even just adding that account is a big decision for us. I'm moving one of my sales reps to Austin. He's going to run points on it. It's just another round of risk. So, um, I, I struggle with that question of, sure. Of where do you plateau? Cause we don't, you don't really make money in growth mode. You really make money once you flatten out for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's really diff- My experience has been, it's really been difficult to, to hold on to a lot of cash during growth mode. We've, we've maintained almost a 100% growth rate, uh, since 2012. Jeez. Uh, and, um, so it just goes back in, um, Reinvest. Um, reinvest. Yeah, I'm. Well, I'm, we tell people it's like they're they're taking a rock and a slingshot, and you just keep pulling it back, pulling it back, pulling it back. But the further you pull it back, the yeah. further that rock's going to go. Um, but I would say too, like the thing that I I think I appreciate about what you just said was that at the end of the day, it was at the beginning when you said I need to be all in, and I think there is some people out there that start a business and they have one foot in, one foot out. I know I did in, in mm-hmm. this business that I'm in now. And I remember at one point, I remember going all in thinking to myself like, yeah, this might be tough and it might, we might have to suffer a little bit or sacrifice some things financially, but this is the right career for me. Does that make sense? And it was then when all of a sudden I was like, and things started getting more successful. And what I'm hearing from you is like, yeah, that happens once, but then over time you feel like you have a little bit more of like, "Mm, this is scary. This is, we're growing. This is scary, yeah. but to be able to bounce that ideas off of other people is insurmountable. So keep going. Sorry. And one thing that Jake always emphasizes is um, he never he just wants me to not be scared of the zeros because we're making the same decision you made in the shops at Roosevelt. There's just another comma. Brilliant. So I don't want you to freak out about that. Let's just break it down into. I remember one time we were going to buy a ninety thousand dollar truck, and he's like, "Okay." He goes, "I don't care for the nine hundred thousand dollar truck. Show me the numbers because it's just they just take, have to line up together. Take the emotion out of it." Yeah, let's just make a decision. Like if you said every time I spend ninety thousand dollars, I get two hundred thousand dollars a year out of it. Cool, I will do that as many times as I can. Um, And so some of that, it's really hard not to be scared of the numbers because when you Mm -hmm. come when you didn't have anything and now you're talking about you know asking a bank for a million dollars or something like that's a (laughs) that's a big deal. Yeah, it's just a big deal, but um, that's just part of the part of the process, I guess. So. I get scared like that at different times. <laughs> to answer your yeah. question. Yeah. And what about Thelma? Is she still? Uh, no, my grandma Thelma passed away uh, several years ago. She uh, actually lived to be 109 years old. Wow. Wow. Um, and she so, made great cookies. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's all so, those snickerdoodles. If you, but, if you ever hear anything, eat a lot of cookies. Eat live a lot, lot of Thelmas right? and you'll live to yeah. 109. This whole diet I'm in is just rubbish. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and she lived in Monroe her whole life. Uh, I don't know that she ever even lived like left the state her whole life. She um, sure. And then both sides of my family are from the Monroe area and farmers. So a lot of people actually. I have Adam. I'll be at events and people walk up to me and said, "Oh, I was neighbor down lived down the street from Thelma and I knew Thelma and sure. I think wow. that's really cool." Did and she get a, to? Did she get to see it launch it at least or? Yes. So she, uh, we have some photos of her eating some of the snickerdoodles that we made. And, um, I, oh, I don't think cool. she really understood what we were doing and really what it was then is not what it is now anyway. But, sure, um, sure. a lot of my extended family still lives in the area and they get to be part of it and my other grandparents. So, um, that's cool. 
that part's pretty special to me. So yeah. let's talk about your faith in this whole thing. How has that played a role in where you're at today? Um, well, that's an interesting question. So welcome uh, to the Uncommon Life Podcast, everyone. <laughs> um, so I did not have, I was not active in any kind of church involvement during college. And I grew up in a pretty conservative garb church. Watch if you're from central Iowa, you know what garb Baptist churches are. And I think I had some resistance to that of just all the rules of that. And so I think once I got to college and I could make my own decision, then I just kind of backed off and said, I'm just not going to go. It wasn't like I I was uh, talking to someone the other day. I I was just, it was just kind of like I was dormant. Mm -hmm. You weren't anti. anti. You were just yeah, I wasn't anti. I was just like, yeah, I'm just not going to go. I'm going to go deer hunting instead. <laughs> um, Cut down trees. And really, yeah. So, uh, yeah, so really, um, yeah, nothing in my faith really changed from that until we uh, started going to Keystone um, really a couple of years ago. Um, and I would say even closer than that, even maybe like a year ago. Oh, wow. Um, so, yeah, it's been a really interesting, uh, I'd never had any kind of faith component as part of my business. And um, I'm just kind of been putting it through a different lens lately. So do you introduce that? Or what do you, what's your thoughts process on that? I'm not trying to lead you one way or the other. I go what to keep that. <laughs> like, are you trying to interject some of the faith that you've what obviously brought you to where you're at now into the business? Or are you trying to kind of separate that? How does that work through your thoughts? Um, it hasn't ever been part of our brand statement to have sure. that. So I don't, I think bring it in now is a little disingenuous. Yeah. Um, I think the things I can do because I own the business is going to be fun. So like the other night we took the concessions trailer up and handed out ice cream sandwiches to all the salt kids in the middle of the night in Ames. And like, yeah. um, we can do fun stuff like that. Right. Um, yeah. The principles you live by and the way you treat people and, and your employees, all yeah. those different things. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you can be more of an example like that unless on the face of the actual yes. brand. Cause it doesn't really have much to do with that, but um, mm-hmm. it's uh, having kind of a different vision of that. And I, I mean, my early financial goals were lofty and just based on stuff. And so it was, I want to own 2000 acres of farmland for hunting and I want to have a hundred thousand dollars a month in annual income. I remember writing that down very clearly yeah. in college and my wife now, who was my girlfriend in college was just like almost mad that I wrote that down. Like, how can you write this down? Like this, we have, zero dollars. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, but I clearly, I still have that sheet. And, um, and I think I've had, I've been pretty aggressively pushing towards that. I mean, that's, those are lofty things. Um, mm-hmm. and that's going to take me years to do, but, um, I think just in the last year, I've kind of um, maybe changed um, or what I'm going to do with that. So very cool. Yeah, I don't have a lot of answers. I guess. Cool. <laughs> yeah, you're doing great. You're doing great. What? So, um, go you got something, Philip? No, nope, go ahead, buddy. What are you most excited about and looking forward for the next three to five years? I think we you know macroeconomically, the economy and the stock market, and everything's been kind of straight up since '09. Um, you know, what are you seeing? What are you excited about? Two things. Or Lyria. Uh, profit. I hope I have some profit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we, um, you know, our, um, our facility is running at about 20% of capacity right now. And so um, we, we invested a ton of money in 2017 upgrading the capacity, mostly so we could go hunt for these new accounts. Uh, Texas. Yeah. Um, Texas. And then, uh, and we pitched Target this year. Uh, we got about a hundred targets that we'll be in kind of using Holy it as a, like a regional sample. And then we're hoping that maybe we can pitch the larger 
the rest of it the next year. But once we have success at HEB, we think it'll lead to, uh, you know, Kroger, uh, you know, a bunch more chains will, sure. will be on their radar. Mm-hmm. Um, and so really hunkering down in our facility and maxing out that asset and um, seeing how many units we can really run through that and hoarding some cash. That's our business plan for the next two years. Um, I like to think that we have a little bit of a lipstick effect with our item uh, in a down economy. So um, I think there's people who are going to Cold Stone and Dairy Queen right now who, when the economy goes down, they'll buy our stuff at the grocery store. Yeah. And we'll have some people who are buying our stuff at the grocery store now who will fall off and they'll go buy a, a low end, really terrible Blue Bunny product. Yeah. Um, yep, I get so- it. <laughs> Uh, I fight with the buddy all the time. Right? <laughs> I'm like a fleck on the radar for them. Like they can't care about me. Right now. But, yeah. right. <laughs> Wait for it. Give um, me five years. Right. So um, I, I like to think that we're somewhat resilient um, in a down economy. I mean, I think interest rates going up like they are, like there's uh, three likely we'll experience them. You know, everybody's talking about that in the future. Yeah. I'm sure you guys are acutely aware of that, but um I think if people really engage with our brand, we can keep pricing relatively flat because um, we don't need to fund a, another huge scale up. Yeah. Um, I think we can build enough brand awareness in the next couple of years that we can be resilient for that. But yeah. um, so I, um, it's funny, some person from Entrepreneur Magazine called me the other day to ask me how Trump's tax rules are going to affect my decision making for 2019. <laughs> I'm sorry. And I was well. like, <laughs> I was like, dude, I don't, I don't care about the tax. <laughs> like, he's like, I was like, I got I, other problems. Yeah. I have a 100% growth rate. I'm trying to maintain if they change the game and I get, you know, an extra 1% or 5% or whatever, like it really doesn't matter. It's just a rounding error in the goal. So, um, that's been our focus of how do we, how do we maximize our facility? And yeah. it's those people who are focused on what Trump is doing are like, you're missing the boat, like focus on what you can control and keep maximizing that. And I think that's what I learned from Alaska. And that's like, here's the set of things I can, yeah, I can see mm-hmm. and I can, I can move and I can control. I can't, I can't change the game with, I mean, I can vote whatever, but like, I can't move that. So Yeah. All right. Let me uh, ask you, cause we only have a couple more minutes, but I want to ask you, Derek now is talking to Derek in college. What would you say to him? Stop going. <laughs> Come on, keep wow. Going. He went there. Okay. I love it. I love it. Keep no, going. No, I, I think. Ooh, I, so I struggle with this because am I going to let my girls go to college? Right. That's the question that I ask all the time. Um, I think I will, if I can make sure that they're major cash flows, they're definitely not going as, you know, history majors or something. Right. Um, but, oh, or I would have engaged the process differently. So I would have found the entrepreneurial, um, groups and, um, built my network. I graduated from college, you know, those 30,000 kids on campus and I know two kids and I talked to one guy from college. <laughs> like I'm just a private person and I only engage with the people who are doing the same thing. And he's a partner in our business now. So <laughs> like that's the, so, um, engage in the process, uh, build a network, you know, the average of the five people you keep closest to you choose carefully kind of yeah. thing. Um, and, uh, find the right classes to go to. Don't just skip class. Yeah. I think I echo that too. I look back at my college experience and it's like the one word that I guess I would insert would be mentorship. And, you know, I had good friends, took good classes, but it's that, you know, it's the people that are 10, 20, 30 years older than you 
uh, helping you pave a path and make less mistakes. I think it's just, uh, and it's easy to think for us to, to look back now because we have that degree and that piece of paper and we can say, yep. oh, we own our own business. We don't need it. But, you know, I think it's tough to look at our kids and say, oh, you don't need that. Um, yeah, that's, that's the thing what... I'm struggling with, I guess, with my kids. But it's I'm 50-50 on it. Of like, But I don't think it's good to be like, hey, you don't know what you're doing? Go to college. Like, Right. No, yeah. Don't tough. go find yourself and find $100,000 yeah. in debt either. Yeah. Yep. So there's, I think you have to balance between those two things. So if I was... If they weren't sure, then we're going to do some gap year internship program or you're going to take some classes and you're going to work and, you know, go work in the industry you think you're interested in and push a broom for a little bit, see if you like any of that. You know, I think it's just a little bit more. My parents didn't go to college. And so they said, if you go to college, you'll have a job and you'll be able to pay your student loans. And we graduated in 2008. That just wasn't a reality. With the right. around your neck, yeah. Yeah, like I, I, they just didn't know that they didn't know and it's not right. their fault. Um, it's Good just, intentions. Yeah, I just have that. Um, so kind of a cautious um, approach to it, I guess. What's your go-to flavor? I'm just going to ask it. <laughs> uh, probably still the Snickerdoodle. I know that sounds really yes, lame. thank just you. Like <laughs> just go back to it, Derek. That is the best one. <laughs> Oh, uh, I'll do the snickerdoodle or the strawberry. Our strawberry has just real strawberries stirred up in it. So, and I built that recipe myself. So, gotcha. Uh, Near and dear, but come on, Thelma's snickerdoodles. Yeah, I yeah. tell people, people, and you're sitting at the stand, and people say, well, "What's the best one?" And they think you don't know. I'm saying, snickerdoodle, just try it. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah. It's like, what's your favorite started. kid? Snickerdoodle. Right. Or they'll <laughs> say, "Are you Thelma?" Oh, yeah, great, yeah. yeah. <laughs> great, real original. Yeah, they think they're the first guy that comes up with that. But I also think I'm the guy who says that. And so I have to laugh. You've got to have grace with yeah. it. Yeah. Like, okay. Uh, okay. How do people, how do our listeners reach out to you or hear more about you? Tell them how they get in contact. Um, or you can say, please don't contact me. That's totally just buy our product. No, you can, uh, you can, I mean, you can engage with us on social media at Thelma Streets on Insta and Twitter and Facebook. Um, and just info at Thelma Streets. Uh, I get requests all the time to talk to food companies or startups or people who need some help. I talked with a granola company last week and then a little bakery and then a salsa company. Like, I, Because I, we're all on different paths and we're all doing things differently. And I always quantify, you know, kind of qualify my comments with that too. Just this might not fit for you, but here's what we did. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then... Um, I'm also out and about all the time. So I'm usually in the grain bin. I, I built a concessions trailer out of a grain bin. Yeah. Um, and so I like al- alternate packaging, don't you? Yeah, I do. I was driving, I, these concession trailer companies are like, Oh, you can't build a round one. I was like, well, I want it to look like a giant stack of ice cream sandwiches on the ends. No, you can't do that. I was driving across the countryside and I kept seeing these grain bins everywhere. I was like, dude, I used to be neighbors with Eugene Sukup. I'm just going to call Sukup and see if they can build me a grain bin. And I called my buddy who's a fabricator in the winter. He's a farmer, but he's got a really nice fabrication shop in his, uh, at his place. And I said, like, can you build me a trailer that sets on the ground and has like, I don't know how you lift it. It was hydraulics or air or something. He goes, ah, I think so. And so I sketched it to him and we, he b- just built it for me. So, um, That's yeah, That's great. <laughs> Where's that at? Uh, let's see the grain bins at our, at our plant. Okay. Uh, right now. And then it, um, we'll probably take it to Texas in January and start because we set it in front of the stores and hand out samples and yep. kind of promote with it. Um, actually I had somebody yesterday said they wanted to buy one for their part. Uh, anyway, so we, there might be more grain bins. I don't know. You never know. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> 
Very well, cool. Thank you so much for your time, Derek. This has been so insightful and this has been wisdom galore. So cool. we can't thank you enough for being on the show. Keep living the uncommon life. And uh, yeah, let's just stay in touch. Yeah. Everybody great. go eat a Thelma's ice cream sandwich. They are delicious. Uh, the <laughs> snickerdoodles. The snickerdoodles. <laughs> well, thanks a lot for having me, guys. Yeah, great. thank you. Absolutely. That's all for this episode of the Uncommon Life Project. Brought to you by Uncommon Wealth Partners. Be sure to visit UncommonWealth.com to learn more about our services. Don't miss an episode as we introduce you to inspiring people who are actively pursuing an uncommon life.